thankful that because of the cross, we can find rest. Amen. We don't have to wait until that final day. We can find rest at the foot of the cross. Anytime we find ourselves in trouble, anytime we find ourselves in the midst of the storm, if we would just make our way to the cross, we can find what we're looking for. Amen. It's always good to see in the house of the Lord, especially the guys from Better Way. Uh, I'm always blessed to have you all here. I'm just as blessed to have all of you here as well. It just demonstrates to me that you're all just wanting to be a little bit more like Christ. And I pray that that uh, happens in all of our lives tonight. But as always, you can go ahead and put up my first slide. Continuing our series uh, on spiritual disciplines. I'll, I'll touch on that in just a little bit. But before we do, uh, we're going to go to Lord in prayer as we always do and ask that he anoint me and anoint you as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that's in this place. We thank you, Father, that you're, uh, for your promise that says if two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them. So we thank you, God, that you're here in the midst of us tonight. And we don't have to worship in vain. We don't have to preach in vain. We don't have to pray in vain. We don't have to do anything in vain because you're here tonight, Father God. And as long as we put our hope in you, trust in you, confidence in you, God, we'll receive everything that we need from you at the foot of the cross. So, God, I confess once again my need for you. 
I need your anointing. I need your Holy Spirit, your wisdom, your strength, your revelation. I need your power in my body, mind, and spirit, God, to bring forth the things that you've sown in my spirit throughout this week, God. And I pray that I would do that with clarity, with anointing, and with power, and with passion tonight, Father God. And that your people would receive it in in that same spirit. That they would respond. Receive your word with a spirit of gladness, Father God, knowing that if they would allow the word of God to have its way in their life, that they would receive from you blessings that they can't put a price tag on. So we ask that you would just be glorified tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So far in this series, I always like to recap just a little bit, just in case some of you have missed some stuff along the way. I'm not going to take a lot of time to do it. But so far in our series, we have looked at the purpose. The very first thing we looked at was the purpose of spiritual discipline, which I hope you know by now is to acquire godliness. That is the number one purpose for the spiritual discipline. You can forget everything else I've taught you about spiritual discipline, but don't ever forget that it has a purpose. And the purpose is to acquire godliness. It's so that we might be more like Jesus Christ and more of a reflection of heaven. After we covered that, we started on the individual disciplines themselves, all of which have the power to develop that godliness in our lives. And the thing that we must remember through the, throughout this entire series, no matter what discipline I'm talking on, like service will start this evening, but no matter what area of uh, discipline we're looking at, uh, without spiritual discipline, without the effort and what I taught you, the gymnasia, which is the, the Greek and the Hebrew, which means without the striving and without the effort, without the everyday working out and the practicing of these habits of devotion in our lives, we cannot acquire the spiritual maturity or the godliness that we are called to pursue in our lives. How many of you know you've been called to pursue godliness and holiness and righteousness? And I, I, I'm telling you, yes, I know it's a, I know the Holy Spirit is the one that does all that work. But we can't sit around in our Christian faith and say, okay, Holy Spirit, you do all the work. I'll just sit here and it will happen. We need to exercise the spiritual disciplines in our life so we can acquire that which the Holy Spirit has for us. And that's godliness. I know I've been on this series for quite a few weeks, but I want you to remember that spiritual maturity doesn't just happen overnight. How many of you know that Jesus spent three and a half years sowing spiritual discipline into the lives of his disciples? His life was a three and a half year sermon. And it took time to sow those spiritual disciplines into their life. And part of my role as a family life pastor here at South Metro Ministries is to take the time needed to train you and equip you and teach you to pursue a life of righteousness and a life of holiness and a life of godliness. Uh, because without it, the Bible tells us we can't see God. Without that holiness, without that righteousness, we cannot see God, the Bible tells us. So I'm going to stay on this until the Holy Spirit leads me to do otherwise. I'm going to stay on this series of spiritual discipline until the Holy Spirit says, I think they've got it. And now it's time to move on because with all of my heart, listen, and I'm not just saying this because it's in my notes. I'm saying this because the Holy Spirit put this on my mind. I, I believe that the Holy Spirit is having me spend so much time on spiritual disciplines because I believe with all of my heart, the Lord is returning sooner than we think. 
I believe with all of my heart, looking at the conflict between Israel and Iran and the possibility of a world war breaking out at any moment, when I look at the economy, when I look how it's becoming a one world economy, when I look at all the things that are going on, I'm telling you, church, I believe with all of my heart that the Lord is coming sooner than we think. And we need spiritual discipline to be ready. Because when Jesus Christ comes back, I want you to know that He is coming for a prepared bride. He's coming for a holy bride and a righteous bride. He's coming for a bride that is without spot or wrinkle, the Bible tells us. And without the spiritual disciplines that we've looked at and the ones that we will still look at, we risk not being ready. We risk being like those five foolish virgins who were shut out of the banquet. We risk being that one that's going to be left in the field or that one that's left grinding at the mill while everyone else has gone up to be with the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. And if I have to exercise and practice my spiritual disciplines even more than I am, I need to do that. And so do you. So all of that said, without spiritual discipline, we're not going to be ready. It behooves us then, church, and reminds us that it will take, and I use this word again, gymnasia, it will take effort and practice and striving to become a student of the word, which we've looked at. It will take practice and effort and striving to become devoted to prayer and to pray without ceasing like we've looked at. It will take gymnasia to be a true worshiper that worships God in spirit and in truth, and it will take gymnasia. It will take as much effort and practice and devotion that you can muster up in order to exercise the next spiritual discipline, which is service. Because listen, all the other, the, all the other spiritual disciplines that we've looked at were simply between us and God. But when it comes to this spiritual discipline of service, we all, all of a sudden, we have to start walking in the, in the, in the path Jesus walked. And we've got to uh, begin exercising a spiritual discipline, not only between us and God, but between us and those that are around us. Those that are saved and those that are unsaved. And so we're going to look at this spiritual discipline of service as we go. Because godliness doesn't just happen by itself. You and I need to make it happen as well. Last week we looked at Hebrews 11.6, which tells us that without faith it's impossible to please the Lord. What we looked at, church, was the fact that without faith... We cannot worship the Lord because we were on the spiritual discipline of worship. And the the reality is, and the fact is, that without faith in God, how can you worship God? How can you worship a God you don't have faith in? How can you worship a God you don't trust in? How can you worship a God you have no confidence in? We need to, that's that's what we looked at last week because it says in verse 6 that those who come to God must believe that He is. That He is everything He says He is. You see, some of us, look, some of us don't believe He's everything He says He is. I know there's times in my life, I know I'm the family life pastor of South Metro Ministries, but I'm telling you there are times that the devil tries to get me to not believe what God says God can do. Or or, or he tries to convince me that God's not everything he says he is. He tries to make me believe that God is a man that he should lie or the son of man that he could change his mind. But he's not. So what we need to understand is that without faith it's impossible to please God. But the very same verse 
it goes on to say that we must also believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And this is what I want you to get. I did a study on two particular words here. This is what Jesus is saying, or this is what the writer is, is saying, God, actually. Because how many of you know God wrote all scripture? What it's saying is that God is a rewarder of those who continue to seek him without fail. And those who continue to seek him without neglect. What you and I need to understand is that God does not reward casual Christianity. God does not reward part-time practitioners of the faith. God does not reward simple uh, part-time prayer or or part-time worship or or uh, part-time devotion in the Word of God. I'm not saying that there is no reward when you take the time to get into those things and do those things. But what I am saying here is that when you're talking about an eternal reward, when you're talking about the fullness of God's reward, when you're talking about the fullness of God's promises in our lives, those that are yes and amen, he's talking about those who seek him without fail and without neglect. You see, the reality is, church, you cannot overlook these spiritual disciplines in your life. You cannot neglect the spiritual disciplines and hope to find an eternal reward. You can't neglect the Word of God and and, and claim the promises of the Word of God. You cannot neglect the house of God. You cannot neglect the spiritual discipline of worship and then all of a sudden think that the heavens are going to open up and pour out a reward or a blessing into your life. It doesn't happen. You You cannot neglect the spiritual discipline of prayer and expect the power of prayer to be released into your life. It doesn't work that way. When we diligently seek him, the Bible says, when we without neglect do the things that he's calling us to do. Look, if you want to, seeking God means getting into the word. Seeking God means prayer. Seeking God means worship. Seeking God, it means all of these things, these spiritual disciplines that we're going to look at. But I also want you to understand the word seek that God used here isn't referring to like the, like the game hide and go seek where someone hides and then someone seeks to find them and then as soon as they find them the game is over. That's not the motivation behind this type of seeking that, that God is talking about. He, the, the word seek here doesn't mean seeking just to say, okay, I found Jesus today. It, it, it's not seeking to just say, oh, or, or even uh, to seek Jesus like he's the one that it's lost. How many of you know Jesus don't need to be found? How many of you know God doesn't need to be found? God's the creator of heaven and earth. He knows. He knows the dark places and the light places. The Bible says that darkness is, is, is like light to him. God doesn't get lost and Jesus doesn't get lost. So when we're talking about seeking for Jesus, it's not because he needs to be found. It's because we need to be found. It's because we need what he has. And so, in other words, here's, here's what I'm saying. The word seek that God uses here means to seek him with a purpose to serve him. So this is what the Bible is saying. It's saying God is a rewarder of those who seek me, diligently seek me, with the purpose 
to serve me. This is what the true interpretation of this scripture means. It doesn't mean that you just, okay, I found Jesus. Listen, there's a whole lot of people out there in the world that say, I found Jesus. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people out there in the world that say, I found God. But the problem is they're not following God and they're not serving God. They haven't dedicated themselves to God. They haven't consecrated themselves to Christ. They simply found him. And you and I need to understand that there's more to this passage of scripture than playing a game of hide and seek with Jesus and saying, okay, Jesus, I found you tag. You're it. Now you got to find me. That's not the seeking. When, when he talks about seeking here, it means that you are seeking with a purpose. It means that you are seeking the, the face of God and the character of God and the presence of God in order for you to serve God. And we're going to look at that word serve in just a moment. It's so that we can follow him and serve him. There's a lot of people, like I said, who have made claims to have found God or found Jesus, but they're still walking in their own ways and they're still doing what is right in their own eyes instead of the eyes of God. They're, they're, they're not serving him. They're not following him and they're not obeying him. I've seen bumper stickers on the backs of cars that says, I found Jesus. I found God. And then you'd be amazed where they're driving. And you'd be amazed at what's going on inside the car. You'd be amazed at the way they wave at you when you cut them off. You'd be amazed. They found Jesus, but they're just not serving him yet. And they're just not obeying him yet. And they're just not consecrating themselves to him yet. You see, it's one thing to say, I found Jesus. It's another thing to say, I serve Jesus. It's one thing to say, I found God. It's another thing to say, I serve God. It's one thing to say, I found the Lord. It's another thing to say, I serve the Lord with everything that I have inside of me. One of the questions that the Holy Spirit asked me is what I'll ask you is what have we done with Jesus since we've found him? What have we done with Jesus since we found him? Is this whole Christianity thing just a game like hide and seek? We cannot just rest on the claim that I found God. We need to discipline ourselves to the point where we serve God after we find God. You see, what have you done for Jesus since you've found him? Remember the woman that I talked to you about last week and the week before who came into Simon's house seeking for Jesus? The one who washed his feet with her tears and the one who dried his feet with her hair? I hope you remember, church, that when she found Jesus, she didn't ask him for a single thing. I hope that you remember that when she found Jesus, she didn't, she didn't want anything from him, ask anything of him, require anything of him, because she sought Jesus with the sole purpose to serve him. This is, this is the seeking God is talking about. You see, God is looking for individuals like this certain woman in the city who didn't want anything from God. She just wanted to serve God and love God and give herself to God. When she went walking through the city asking, do you know where Jesus is? Have you seen Jesus? 
Jesus. Do, do you know where Jesus is? She wasn't asking so she could go get something from, from God. She wasn't asking because she required something from Jesus. She simply was seeking God so that she might serve him, so that she might empty herself out upon him. And it's exactly what she did. And the problem is there's too many people that go through their Christian life seeking God so they can get something. They're seeking after him so they can receive something instead of seeking him to serve him, instead of seeking him to pour themselves out upon him. And we've got to get to that point of understanding with this spiritual discipline of service is that it's not about us. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus and what we can offer him. And when we fail to understand that church, listen, I know that there's times where you will seek God for healing. And I know there's times that you'll seek God for wisdom and for direction. And you'll seek God for for grace and mercy. And you'll seek Him for protection from the schemes of the enemy. But if that's what your whole faith is built upon, guess what? You're not a servant. You're not a servant. Our whole life, our Christian faith must be built upon the fact that we are seeking Him first to serve Him. And when we serve Him, we trust and believe that He will reward us and give us everything that we need according to His riches and glory. Listen, when you seek Him, you will find Him, the Bible says. And not only will you find Him, you will receive everything that you need from Him. You won't have to beg from Him. You won't have to plead from him you won't have to beg borrow and try to cheat your way to God's blessings when you seek him with all of your heart you will find him and it's saying when you seek him to serve him you will find him listen there's a whole lot of people out there trying to seek Jesus for the wrong reason it's why they never find him they're seeking for this and they're seeking for that they're seeking all over for God and it's why they can't find him Because they're seeking with the wrong motives. They're seeking with the wrong attitude of the heart. Listen, the people that find Jesus are those that understand when they finally come to that place. God, I just need you. God, I got nothing to offer you. I'm empty, but I understand I'm in need. I I realize my spiritual condition, so I'm seeking you now to serve you. Because I've lived all for myself for all of my life, but now I'm willing to serve you. Amen. And that is who is rewarded. That's the individual that receives the blessings of God in their life. I'm not saying don't ever pray for it, pray for a miracle. I'm not saying don't ever ask God to do a miracle in your life because the same God that said, seek me, you'll find me, said, ask and you shall receive. He's the same one that said you don't have because you don't ask. And we usually don't ask. Why? Because we don't believe. Is we don't believe. Not only, listen, this passage of Scripture is not only saying that we can't please Him without faith. It's also really telling us that we can't please Him unless we're willing to seek Him to serve Him. This is how we please the Lord. We please Him by our faith and we please Him with our willingness to serve Him. And to surrender ourselves to Him. Because He's a rewarder of those Who diligently seek him. Those who take pains to find him in order to serve him. Remember, no one else in that household, no one else in Simon's household was blessed. 
No one else in that household received anything of value from the Lord. They received no eternal reward, no good word from God, no blessing, no spiritual blessing, except this woman. She was the only one. Listen, Simon was the one that invited him. Simon was the one that spent the money to prepare the meal. Simon was the one that spent the time to set up the table. Simon was the one that sent out all the invitations. Simon was the one that set a seat for Jesus. Yet Simon wasn't rewarded. Simon wasn't recognized because he wanted to get something from Jesus when the woman wanted to give something to Jesus. And this is what we need to understand. She was the only one that was recognized. Only one that was blessed. Only one that Jesus had anything positive to say about. You see, I think Simon wanted to show off in front of all of his friends. I had Jesus to my house. I want you to understand that there are people, even in Scripture, that sought after Jesus and found him. You know, the one that said, I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll follow. Look, listen, they, they were seeking for Jesus and they found Jesus. But as soon as Jesus laid out the terms about following him and, and receiving blessings from him, they all walked away. You see, it's easy to find Jesus. Sometimes it's easy to find Jesus. The hard part is following him and obeying him and serving him. And that's what God is asking for us tonight. I could have, I could have included service, this spiritual discipline of service in the, in the discipline of worship. Because one of the greatest forms of worship is service. Amen? One of the, the greatest ways for you to worship the Lord is to simply offer yourself to the Lord and say, God, here am I. Here I am, God. That, I mean, that is one of the greatest forms of worship that we could ever demonstrate to the Lord, just making ourselves available to Him. But the truth is, <clears throat> Scripture also establishes service as a spiritual discipline all of its own. It establishes the spiritual discipline of service as another discipline that demonstrates the, the level of our devotion to the Lord. Hebrews 9:14 says this, and it might might be teaching. I'm going to try to break it down as simple as I can. But it says, "How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we might serve the living God?" And I know that that's a mouthful. I know you could break that down. And I know I could get real theological with it and, you know, probably spend three weeks teaching you some stuff on that verse. But whether you understand this passage or not, simply, I want to pull out a couple things. It reveals first, it reveals our eternal purpose. You can read through that whole scripture. And at the very end of that verse, it reveals our eternal purpose. And that is to serve the living God. To serve the living God. That is your eternal purpose and my eternal purpose. Listen, whether you're a teacher or whether you're a pilot, whether you are a musician or whether you're a pastor, whether you're a chef or whether you're a waitress, it doesn't matter what your earthly pro, uh, uh, profession is. It doesn't matter what your earthly purpose is. Every single one of us in this house have the same eternal purpose, and that is to serve the living God. The reality is the passage of scripture says that, that, that our eternal purpose is so important to God that he sent his only begotten son to die for us so that we read it, so that we might serve the living God. He sent his unblemished son to die on our behalf for, so that you and I might fulfill our eternal purpose, which is to serve the living God. And the reality is, you and I must learn how to serve the living God. 
he, he didn't say anything about a dead God. And I'm going to get on that in a second because a whole lot of us spend our Christian life serving dead gods. We spend our whole Christian life serving dead deities that can't do anything for you, can't open up the windows of heaven, can't pour out a blessing that you can't contain. I'm talking about dead deities. You know what a dead deity is? It's something that we pay tribute to. It's something that we spend our time on. It's something that we serve. You know what? Your car could be a dead deity. Your house could be a dead deity. Your boyfriend or girlfriend that's not saved and draws you away from God could be a dead deity in your life. I want you to understand the clothes you wear on your back and the bling bling that you, you wrap around your neck. It is all dead deities if it takes, uh, if it takes you away from serving God. And the reality is so many of us, church, we spend our time, our effort, uh, we spend, we devote ourselves to dead deities and then we've got nothing left to give to God. We spend all week serving dead deities out there in the world and then we come into the house of God with nothing to offer to God because we've been used by the world and used up by the world and we've spent everything we have on the world and we've got nothing left to give to God. We spend our time on the world. And then we don't have time for the house of God. We don't have time for prayer. We don't have time for the word. Or we don't have time to worship. We spend our time 60 hours a week at work. We spend our time on the golf course or at the movies. We spend our time on the internet. We spend our time Facebooking and browsing and tweeting and Twittering and all this other stuff that's going on in the world. We use up our time and then we got nothing left for God. We're serving dead deities who can't do nothing for your life. Can't bring your son and daughter home. Can't heal your marriage. Can't touch your body. Can't change your mind. Can't put a dance in your step. Can't put a smile on your face. Can't put a song in your heart. I'm telling you, there's no Hollywood figure that can change your life like God can. We're out there spending ourselves, spending ourselves on dead deities Using ourselves up. Listen, that's what service means. That's what it means. And I'll get to it in just a second. But we are spending ourselves. We spend our money on movies. We spend our money eating out. We spend our money on fancy clothes and fancier cars and even fancier houses. But yet when it comes to tithing and when it gives to giving, when it comes to sowing into the kingdom of God, we've got nothing left. Our pockets are empty because we've sowed our money to all the dead deities out there can't do anything for us. You see, we need to understand what it really means to serve God. We need to understand what it means to serve God. Uh, We know how to serve the television set. We know how to serve our tummies. We know how to serve all these things in the world. We know how to serve our eyes who love to look at pornography and serve our stomach that loves to eat. We, We know how to serve the things out there. But God says, I want you to serve the living God. He's only told us to serve one. Listen, Jesus Christ died so that you could serve the living God, not a dead God. He shed his blood so you could serve the living God, not a dead God. He he offered his only begotten son so that you and I might fulfill our eternal purpose on this earth, and that is to serve God. We so often forget, listen, there were years of my early teenage young adult life 
that I was spending everything that I had on a dead and dying world instead of spending it on the living God. I would come into the house of God with nothing to offer him. I would come into the house of God after spending all of my efforts and being used up on the world, thinking that I could come before a living God and make a connection with him. And it just won't happen. I cannot receive the word, the reward, and I will not receive the blessing. So we need to understand that Jesus shed his blood and gave his life so that we might serve the living God. And this is what we need to understand about the word service here. In the original text, the word service means to put yourself at someone's complete disposal. And I want you to write that down if you don't write down anything else. Service means to put yourself at someone's complete disposal. And I hope you let that sink into your mind because this is exactly what it's saying. In order for you to serve God, you must put yourself at his complete disposal. You must be willing to be used by God and used up by God no matter how he wants to use you. No matter whether he wants you to do it at center stage or whether he wants you to do it in the shadows. Whether he wants you to do it in the front of a hundred people like I am tonight. Or whether he wants you to do it in a closet where no one's watching. I want you to understand that in order to serve God, this is what he wants. We've got to serve the Lord, church. We've got to serve him. With all of our heart, service means to be used by God and used up by God. So often we spend our times, like I said, on the things of this world and we got no time, no money, no, no strength, no anything left for God. Because listen, the Bible tells us you cannot serve two masters. You can't. Amen. I think a lot of us have tried in here trying to do it and you can't. You can't. I mean, you can try. But it won't work. And this is what he means by the fact that you can't serve two masters. It means if you're being used by the world, you can't be used by God. It means if the world is using you up, that you're not going to have anything left for God. That's what it means. That's what it means by you cannot serve two masters. Because you'll either love the one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't do both at the same time. You cannot make yourself available to the things of the world and then make yourself available to God. It does not work. Although the house of God is filled with people. And I used to be one of those people that would come into the house of God thinking that I could serve both God and mammon. I could serve God and the world. I could serve God in my own lusts and I could serve God in my own pleasures and I could serve God in my own desires and it does not happen. It gets you nowhere except frustrated and lost. Doesn't. Listen, why do you think Joshua said in Joshua 24:15, "Choose this day whom you will serve." He looked out amongst a congregation of people who had their devotion in the wrong place. They were the sons and daughters of the Most High God. He spoke this to the royal priesthood, to the holy nation, to the chosen people. And he said to them, I want you to choose this day whom you will serve. Who you're going to devote yourself to. Who you're going to yield yourself to. Who you are going to allow to use you and use you up. Because right now, he was looking at the congregation and said, you're serving the world. You're serving the world. You're serving dead deities. Read that whole passage and they were really serving dead deities. False idols and false gods. 
But he said, choose this day who you will serve because you cannot serve both. Therefore, the discipline that God is speaking of is that of putting ourselves at his complete disposal, willing to be used by him and used up by him. Remember, Jesus emptied himself for the glory of the Father, not for himself. If any of you think that Jesus had any ulterior motives, I'm telling you, you don't know Jesus. Jesus emptied himself for the glory of the Father and not himself. Jesus did only what the Father told him to do. Jesus said only what the Father told him to say. Jesus went only where the Father told him to go. You understand, Jesus lived only the way his Father told him to live. And Jesus died just the way his Father told him and designed him to die. He served his Father. He poured himself out for his Father. He emptied himself for his Father. He put himself at his Father's complete disposal, willing to be used however God wanted to use him and we won't even let God use us in a tiny little way unless we get the headlights unless we get the limelights unless we get center stage we put conditions on our service and Jesus put none on his service he poured himself out listen and not just for God for you and me as much as he served the father he served you and he served me When I talk about him serving the Father, listen, he poured himself out for you. And he poured himself out for you. And he poured himself out for me. He emptied himself. And he expected nothing in return. This is what true service is. Listen, he emptied himself on our our behalf. He died so that we might serve the living God. The only earthly thing Jesus got out of the deal was the cross. It's the only thing he got out of the deal. The only earthly reward Jesus got for serving you and me was pain and persecution and suffering. It was a whipping, a beating, a bruising. It was a mocking. It was a crucifixion. It's the only thing that he got, church, but the eternal reward that he received was a name above all names. It was a right, it was a seat by the right hand of the Father, which is in heaven. But this is the kind of service the Father's looking for, church. He is looking for those who are willing, listen, to be spent by God. I know that this is a difficult saying, and I promise you, you're not going to hear it from a lot of pulpits. But I want you to understand that God is looking for someone that is willing to be spent by God. We've got to stop moaning and groaning about every little thing and heartache and trouble that comes into our life. Because God wants to spend us. God wants to use us. God wants to, listen, He does want to exhaust us. He wants to use us up for the kingdom of God and for the glory of the Father. He he wants to use us and we go around talking about being burnt out and we we go around talking about doing this and doing too much of that and I need a break and I need this and I need that good God I wonder where we would be if Jesus said I feel burnt out God I feel a little uh, I feel a little tired where would we be I'm not saying that we don't take vacation but understand me when it comes to Christianity you better be ready to be spent by God you better be ready to be used up he can't that this is listen this is why he could not stand the grumbling and complaining of the Israelites in the desert because they had no clue what it meant to be spent by God used up for no earthly gain There was no earthly gain 
for the sacrifice and the service that Jesus put forth. None. Yet he did it anyway. And that it just amazes me even more, the more you think about it, and the fact that he did all of that just so you and I could follow in his footsteps and serve the Father, so that we too could get earthly or heavenly rewards like he received the heavenly rewards. He had his eye on the Father. He didn't care about the earthly things. He had his eye on the Father. And we've got to do the same thing. When you take your eyes off God, you can't serve God. When you take your eyes off the Word, you can't serve God. When you take your eyes off the Word, you can't serve the God of the Word. This tells you how to serve Him. This tells you how to obey Him. This tells you how to worship Him. This tells you how to follow Him. This tells you how to love on Him. This tells you everything you need. And when you get your eyes off the Word, guess what? You cannot serve Him. That's why the devil throws so many things into your life and in my life. Get our eyes off God so our service goes from what? From serving a living God to serving dead deities. There's, there's no reward. How many of you have ever been there serving dead deities? Uh, look, I, all of us have been there. We all were lost. We all were lost in sin. If there's anyone here that says, oh, no, that's not me. I've never been there. Guess what? You're a liar. Because the truth is every one of us were born into sin. Every one of us were lost. Every one of us served ourselves before we served God. But I thank God that we're able to serve him today only because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's why his blood is that much more precious. It opened up the door for us to serve God. Serve God. Can you, I, I hope you get that. I mean, so many people are, are thrilled to be able to say, oh, I serve the president or I serve this movie star or I serve that. I served under this person or that person who's really big in the, in the world. But listen, if you and I can say our ultimate goal should be able to go through this world and say, I serve God. I don't serve man. I don't look for the applause of man. I serve God. And when that's our motive, when that's our heart, when that's our desire, you talk about being rewarded, you're going to receive rewards into your life. Like I said earlier, I wonder where we would be if halfway to the cross, Jesus said, okay, Father, I think you've used me up enough right now. I wonder where we'd be if he said, I think I've suffered enough now. God, I think the persecution was enough. I think the, the trial was enough. I, I think that beating was enough. I, I think that, that, that bruising was enough. There's enough that I've done. Now it's someone else's turn. Where would we be if Jesus took that position? If he would have failed to yield himself and not be completely poured out for you and me, we'd be on our way to hell. We would be straight on our way to hell if Jesus was not willing to serve the Father with everything that he had. You see, listen, Jesus didn't just pour out an ounce of blood. He, if you're in the medical, he bled out. There was nothing left except water. That's why when he was pierced in the side, he bled water and he bled blood. Uh, he bled blood and he bled water because he emptied himself. He poured himself out. There was nothing left. He served God to his final breath, church. To his very final breath. And again, I say, we whimper, we complain, we fuss when we face one little trial in our life. Not understanding that God is using us for a reason. He's using us for the glory of the Father and the glory of the kingdom. Why, are we, why do you think the Bible says that we should rejoice in all of our trials and tribulations? Because 
God is using us to advance the kingdom of God. We need to surrender ourselves to that church. He served his father to the very last breath. You see, another definition for the word service is useful labor that does not produce a tangible product. The service that, that Jesus is talking about here is useful labor that does not produce a tangible product. Something that you can put a price tag on. Something that you can trade or sell. The service that Jesus is talking about isn't something you can find on a store shelf. It, it's not something. It, you can't put a, 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 a price tag on it like you can a tangible commodity. And that's the main reason most people don't like to serve. Because there's nothing in it for them. Because their service doesn't produce an earthly return. And it's the main reason even the children of God don't serve. Because there's nothing in it for them. Because it's not going to get their name in lights. Because it's not going to pad their pocketbook. Because it's not going to make them popular. Because it's not going to put them on center stage. Because it's not going to get them a sign on their door. Because it's not going to give them a, a tangible commodity in return for their service. God forgive us when we want something back from God other than His precious blood that He already shed. So that we might serve Him. We need to understand what it truly means to serve the Lord. We need to understand what service is all about, church. If I, can't get, if I can get my name in lights, then I'll serve. If I can be in charge, then I'll serve. If you give me an important title, pastor, then maybe I'll serve. If I get the solo, then I'll sing. If I, if I get the lead, then I'll participate. If you offer me some kind of tangible commodity for my excellent service, then I will yield myself. Then I will offer myself. Then you can use me. Then you can spend me the way that you want. But unless I get that, I'm going to withhold my service. If you put my name in a box so I can get a dinner for two. If I get to be the first in line at our next fellowship. If it gets me a meeting with the pastor. If I get some kind of return for my service and sacrifice. Then I'll think about serving. God forgive us for that attitude. He died so that we might serve the living God with a heart that only wants to serve, not seeking anything in return. You see, that's called self-righteous service, church, and the church is full of it. The church is full of self-righteous uh, service, and the Lord is sick of it. He wants some people to just serve no matter whether someone sees them or not. Whether they get recognition or not, whether they get a pat on the back or they're not, whether they get a whether they get a, a, a presence with the pastor or not, whether they get their name in the worship folder or not, he wants some individuals that are just willing to say, God, like Isaiah did, here I am, send me, here I am, use me, however you want to, whenever you want to, use me. I want you to spend me, God. That should be our prayer every day. I know you got jobs. I know you got earthly responsibilities. But our prayer should be today, God, spend me. God, use me however you want to, to advance the kingdom of God and bring glory to your name. Use me. Use me.
But we're so used to the pomp and the circumstance that this world, the world tells you if you want to be first, you've got to do this and got to do that. The Bible says the first shall be last and the last shall be first and the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. I want you to know that everything the world teaches you is opposite of the word of God. I want you to know that everything you watch on TV and the doctrine that it tries to sow into your life is opposite of the word of God. The word of God says, blessed are the humble for they shall inherit the earth. And the earth that they is that, that, that Jesus was talking about was a Canaan land. It was a form of heaven that was filled with rich blessings. Blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit their Canaan. They shall inherit a portion of heaven in their lives. But no, we want to be the movie star and the pop star. We want to be all these other things when we're supposed to be like Jesus. We want all the recognition. And God is saying, I want you to be a servant I want you to be a servant of all. I want you to offer this world what the world can't offer. You see, listen, none of this is in my notes, and I know I need to close, but there are so many churches that are trying to offer the world what the world is already offering. They're trying to make their church look like the world and sound like the world and act like the world. They're giving the world what the world already has. What we need to do is begin to rise up as the church of the living God and offer the world what the world can't give them. We need to offer the world the things they can't find anywhere else. And the only way we're going to do that is if we begin to exercise spiritual discipline in our life, especially the discipline of service. Because the world doesn't know how to serve. They, they take, they take, they take. But God is saying one of the greatest ways that you'll be able to break through and be a reflection of the kingdom of God is by serving one another in love. With no expectations, no, no uh, sought for return. Listen, self-righteous service requires external rewards. It needs to know that people see and appreciate their effort or they give no effort at all. It seeks human applause and compensation. And if it's not there, they don't offer it. Self-righteous service will always call attention to the service it just rendered. Do you know how much I just did for them? Do you... Do you know how much sacrifice I had to make? Do you know how much time it took me to do all of those things? Where always self-righteous service calls attention to the service that it rendered. When God is saying it, look, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. You go do it in the, you just serve me and I'll reward you. You just serve me and I'll bless you. You just serve me and I'll advance you. You just serve me and I'll, I'll, I'll let you find the favor that you need. Just serve me. Go ahead and put on the music. I got to find a place to close. In John 13, 12 to 17, Jesus, the Son of God, and here's how I want you to picture this. The Son of God, the one who willingly stepped down from the throne room in grace, the Prince of Peace, the one who deserved a crown. I want you to understand who I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the Word that was made flesh. In, in John chapter 13, turn that down just a little bit. It tells us that the Son of God took off his robe and he humbled himself among his 12 friends who were his disciples. He bowed down and he washed their dirty feet. And when he was finished washing, it says in verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, 
he put on his clothes and returned to his place and said, do you understand what I have just done for you? Now, I can imagine what was going on in their minds. I wonder what, how we would have responded. That's what I was thinking, how I would have responded if Jesus came in here today and he washed my feet and asked me that question. Do you understand what I have just done for you? And he goes on in verse 15 and he says, I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed, he was saying, if you practice this spiritual discipline of service in your life. Remember, as I close, you can turn that or adjust that if you want to, but I'm closing here. I want you to remember true service is our willingness to be used by God and used up by God even for the lowliest of tasks. You see, the reality is if God can't trust you with doing the little thing, he's certainly not going to trust you to do the big thing. If you can't believe that his anointing has to be upon you to bend down and wash your brother's feet, He's never going to anoint you to stand up in front of them and preach the word of God. I want you to understand this is what it means to serve, even in the lowliest of tasks. Jesus, listen, Jesus was born in a lowly manger. He washed his disciples' feet, and I could list a hundred things in here, but I'm doing three things. He was born in a lowly manger. He washed his disciples' feet, and he died a lonely, lowly death on a sinner's cross And he did it solely so that you and I might serve the living God. So my question is tonight, are you willing to put yourself at the Father's complete disposal? Are you willing to say, like Isaiah did, here am I, God, use me. Here am I, God, send me. However you want it, however you want to use me, wherever you want to use me, whenever you want to use me, God, I'm... I'm willing to be used. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet if you can, because we're going to pray. And I am encouraging you this week to make that prayer to the Lord. How do you want to use me, God? Where do you want to use me, God? And stop setting requirements on your service. Let God use you however he wants to use you. And when you do, When you seek him to serve him, you will be blessed and you'll receive a reward. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this evening. But I thank you not only for your word, I thank you for your life. I thank you, Father God, that you demonstrated what it means to be the greatest of us all by being the servant to us all. And I pray, God, that everyone here this evening would be willing to step into the footsteps of your son, Jesus Christ, who even though he came in the form of God, didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He poured himself out. He made himself nothing. He allowed himself to be used by you, God, and used up by you to only do your will so that we, Father, might serve you as well. So I'm praying, God, that you would create in us a servant's heart. I pray, God, that we would not listen to the doctrine of this world, that we would not serve dead deities, but that we would find ourselves being used by the living God. 
I pray, God, that we wouldn't be so distracted by the things of this world and used up by the things of this world that we've got nothing left to give you. I pray, God, that you would be first and foremost in our hearts and in our lives. I know we all have responsibilities. I know we have duties. I know we have jobs. We have families. We have all of those things. But let us never forget our earthly purpose, and that is to serve the living God. I thank you that you are alive and that you are well and that there's nothing impossible for you, nothing too difficult for you. I thank you that you're not made by the hands of man, that you're not some dead, useless idol. But I thank you that you are the living God and you have given us the opportunity to serve you. Let us count it an honor to bow before you. Let us count it an honor to serve you. Let us count it an honor to obey you. Let us count it an honor to serve in the kingdom of God. We praise you for the blood that has opened that door and that opportunity. And all of God's people give the Lord praise and said, amen. Can we just bless the Lord, church? Amen. Had to skip over some stuff, but we'll catch up next week if the Lord tarries and lets us come together. Otherwise, go and 